the Neutral Zone, a Star Trek podcast by ladies where we talk about Star Trek loudly and at great length. I am your host, Kareen, joined as ever by Ari. Hello. And Kim. Hello. Nice. See how I switched that up a little bit? That's because it's episode 13. Ooh. So we're at season two, episode 13, Obsession, or as I like to call it, Kirk's Got Gas. (laughs) Or as Kim called it, and I will dispute. Kirk yells at a cloud. He doesn't at any point yell at the cloud. He might as well be yelling at the cloud. I, I waited. The entire episode, because really there was nothing else to pay attention to, no. for him to yell at that cloud like fists clenched. Old man Kirk yells at cloud. Yeah, I, I really I wanted him to be like on his knees for various reasons, um, yelling at that cloud. Oh, no. and by God, Kim, he did not yell at that cloud. He raged against the cloud. He like stared impotently at it, but he yelled he did at not other people at about it. the cloud. But he not took, at the cloud directly. He took out his anger about the cloud on other people who really didn't deserve it. Yeah. I don't know. I just always described it as Kirk yells at a cloud. Because that's... It's... It, it's nothing happens. A, a lot of stuff happens. I would argue. And again, this episode, I think, was pitched by Roddenberry and, like, shorthanded all over during the writing process as Moby Dick in space. Oh, yeah. It's definitely yeah, Moby definitely. Dick in it's space. It's definitely Moby Dick, but without... It's a cloud. A white cloud. Star Trek really was likes... At sometimes it was. It was different depending. It changed you know, its molecular Trek... structure. Yeah. Oh, Star Trek yeah. actually really likes its Moby Dick stories, because we get like five more of them, plus uh, First Contact is a Moby Dick story. But that comes back to the nautical tradition, right? Yeah. That's yeah. all... That's that's like the big nautical story that yeah. everyone knows. The, the one obsession. And again... Talking about the, the captain is the individual who's making the decision when he is corrupted by this obsession, which is the title of this episode, I guess, um, that they start making decisions that are contrary to their actual mission. Hmm. But to sum up this episode, this episode is bullshit. <laughs> Yeah. This is one of the episodes, you know, when I'm always like, I hate Kirk, he's so selfish and terrible. This is one of the episodes that probably informed my dislike of Kirk a lot. You are not wrong. I hated Mm. Kirk in this episode as well. I feel like, and again, I just read 50 years of Star Trek, which was an amazing oral history of Star Trek. I feel like this is like the prime Shatner interference era. Yeah. Where he was writing notes to the director and to the uh, story writers saying, no, Kirk needs to be more goddamn heroic. Because I feel like this would have been a stronger episode. Fine, have his obsession with the cloud. Have his sad, weak backstory as a little lieutenant who failed to, like, get it off at exactly the right time. But also to have been wrong. Yes, that is the part where everything fell apart for me was when Kirk is right. And I'm like, no, yeah, Kirk really should not be too. right in this situation. Kirk should be completely 100% wrong. Well, and the, the episode is, should end with him saying, I was wrong. From a command perspective, though, he is wrong. Everybody else knows it. Yeah, he is. No, the story justifies that he is right because it says that the cloud is such a threat to everyone. Like, it killed 200 people on the USS Phalanges or Very whatever good. it was. Very good. Good enough. It's an important ship later on. Where? What? It gets mentioned a bunch more times. Maybe not the same Farragut, but another Farragut. In Deep Space Nine, I think they talk about the Farragut, but it's, it's not the same ship. No, it's not the same ship, but it's the same line. In a, a Dark Universe story, what's the name of the captain? It's like Garovic? Yeah. Something very, very difficult. When I saw it in print, I was like, oh, that's a lot more consonants than there should be in that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, in the Dark Universe story, uh, the Captain Garovic is really mean to Kirk. So he arranges the smoke monster to come there and kill 200 t- crew members. And he's, he's like, it was the best sleep of my life. Whoa. Whoa. Dark Kirk is really dark. Oh, Dark Kirk is very sexy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but oh. I, get, I get you, Kim. Like, watching this episode and I think looking at this episode by itself, Kirk is a giant pile of wiggling, jiggling dicks. <laughs> Yeah, he's garbage in this episode. He's a garbage captain. He actually says, you know, there are a whole yeah. bunch of people dying of this vaccine. Fuck them. Doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I acknowledge and- that some people could die because I am following this insane vendetta. And this is and? why <laughs> And this is why every time Kirk doesn't leave to go fly off and get the medicine first and then pursue his mission, I'm fucking pissed at him. 
This this is the most egregious offender. Yeah, I think we can all agree. Definitely, yes. yes. Because other times when it's been like they need medical supplies, they don't specify that there's a ticking clock on the medical supplies. It's just like administratively that someone's going to be pissed at you. But this yeah. time, they actually came straight out and said, if you don't get the vaccines there in time, people will die. And I'm angry at it because the narrative justifies his decision where yeah. it really should That really yes. pissed me off. Yeah. Yeah, I was angry. He should have been, like, contrite wrong. and wrong. Wrong. The part where in the staff meeting where McCoy apologize, apologizes oh, to Kirk, yeah. I was like, oh, don't. I was don't so apologize. pissed. He don't. He slap upside the head. But I feel like, again, this is like the prime Shatner interference era. Yeah. Where he gone to, he went to the director or whatever and said, Kirk can't be wrong because he is the hero. The story doesn't even make sense if he's right. It is very tenuous. If, I, if I were a Starfleet lawyer. as hell. I would impeach him. Yeah. Because we, again, we don't know how many people on this planet are dying. So there's what, this what vaccine pl- that they have to get to. Oh, okay. I was yeah, like, there's yeah. no people on the planet. But no, no, no the no. one that they're trying to get to. Yeah, they're trying to get this vaccine to these people who are dying. But instead they go off on this crazy vendetta mission. And a bunch of red shirts get killed as a direct result. Yeah, of his yep. stupidity. Of his sheer stupidity. Yeah. yeah. And it hurts me to say like that. Like every encounter. It's like, oh, here's another name. Oh, here's another name. Oh, here's another name. And up until the point where it spins around on its ass and changes its mind and Kirk turns out to be right, it seems like it's trying to, like, indict him morally because every time you indulge in your fucking vendetta, somebody dies. Somebody else dies. Another person dies. Kim, I would like to actually start this episode with your count, which is the body count for this episode. Uh Usually we say that to the end, but I would like you to keep this in mind as you listen to this podcast of how many people actually died... As a direct result mm-hmm. of Kirk's. Not just one decision. Like, more than one, let's go down and do this thing. Like, I think three times? My count was five people. With three or four encounters. There are some uh, miraculous recoveries in that some Only people Only one were, of them recovers. Some, no. Some people who are described as dead end up walking around later in other scenes. Well, from what I remember, is like the first time there's three... And two die, one survives, and then he dies. Mm -hmm. The second time they go down, there's three and two die, and that's the five. Didn't they go down again? Yes, but nobody died. Because it was Kirk and redshirt number two. Oh, okay. No, this is an important redshirt. Yeah, he's an important redshirt. This is is the son of the captain. So, they're on a planet, a crappy planet. Another crappy planet. They're on another mission for really special rocks. rocks. Well, Tritanium, um, which actually does get... It becomes very important in canon. It's like the thing that you name. It's like the adamantium of the Star Trek universe. <laughs> when you want to like explain how amazing it is that evil space alien of the week like blew a hole through it, you say it's pure titanium, which is what this is. And Kirk tests this by punching it. It's twenty. 20- which seemed like an interesting, you know. It is twenty times as hard as diamonds. Actually, Spock corrects it and says it's twenty-one point. Yeah. Why not? Just say 21 times, Kirk. Again, I'm going to pick on Kirk this episode. This is weird and new Yay! for me. I feel strange inside, but not in like the good Wesley Crusher drunk way. I I don't like this. So yeah. This it, is how I feel all the time, but like giddy about it. I feel so conflicted. I feel like my evil Kirk and my good Kirk are like ripping each other apart right now. So yeah, anyways, it's 20 times as hard as Diamond. So what do you do? You punch it. You punch it. Well, Have you ever punched a diamond? Also, I would love to know what, like, diagnostic test punching, like, what kind of damage does it have to do to your knuckles, and how does that correspond with, like, what on the hardness scale? Independent study at Starfleet Academy. <laughs> punching different rocks to see if you can determine what they are by sheer punchability alone. It's probably got a scale where you measure the amount of skin that comes off, what your bruise looks like How many milliliters of blood you bled. Yeah. I love everything about this! <laughs> Science! So a survey vessel was at this crappy planet before, and they found lots, lots of tritate, lots of the special rock. Mm-hmm. Such good special rock. Yep. All I wrote for this section was, rock has mineral. <laughs> <laughs> and they love that mineral. So they decide to phaser off. They crave off that the mineral. They crave it. <laughs> Starfleet craves that mineral. So they phaser off a specimen. Should that work? I don't know. Are phasers stronger than diamonds? Question? I don't know. Phasers can punch through a bunch of stuff. Yeah, but diamonds? 
I mean, if you hit it in the right place. Question. Yeah. Oh yeah, things just kind of go through holes. That's a fact. Eventually. I mean, I mean, how many times do we see somebody like fire at the lock to open it or like phaser through that door to get into something? They <laughs> should really make their doors of something stronger than what can be blown through by a hand phaser. Well, I imagine that the primary concern on a starship is can you blow a hole through to space? The answer is yes, but it would take you a really long time. But they're constantly getting boarded and attacked by other aliens, so why not make something stronger that cannot be got through by a hand phaser? Mm. It's narratively inconvenient. Yep. Starfleet Engineering Corps? Well, it's, I mean... It's early days. If you think of, like, a, 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 a ship, how how long would it take you to shoot through the hull with a gun? It takes a little while. Okay. I mean, like, they don't just turn the phaser on and it's done. They have mm. to, like, blast a for a really while and adjust the setting and then blast again yeah. and then adjust the setting and blast again. Okay, so if we're going with the ship analogy, I don't think you could actually put a hole through, like, a tall ship with a gun. That's why you use a cannon. Yes. But the problem is, is that ships themselves have this giant open bit where all the squishy people are, which are easily sliced through by a gun. I really like that you went to, like, wooden tall ships, where I'm thinking, like, modern navy and a machine gun. Oh. Well... (laughs) I'll get off my Horatio Hornblower, then. So they uh, break off some rock. It's a very rock. funky chunk. <laughs> sure. I don't know why, but this the actual shape of it bothered me. And my actual notes are funky chunk. Okay. It doesn't seem like that is the actual shape that something would be if you phasered it off. Because it's round, and it's like a concave inward thing. <laughs> like a bowl of it that doesn't make any sense Karina, this is the first this is 30 the part seconds focusing on no i would like to spend the rest of the two hours of this podcast we are not spending two hours in this episode why oh why God. is it a, i have a better a question curve? for you crane why does it who cares me ari obviously i care because i want to talk about it deeply and if you're gonna get like that i'm gonna join in and we're just gonna turn this into the rock talk <laughs> rock talk with kim and Corey. yes but why would it cleave that way? Well, if it's it wouldn't. The, if it's the strongest metal of all, if you think about diamonds, they don't cleave that way. You have to, like, slice and dice them. Mm-hmm. At least, uh, as I assume from that episode of You do of use lasers to cut diamonds, actually. You just have you to use them in exactly lasers, the right place. But you're not, they're not, like, if you don't, they don't hunk a chunk. They can, if you, if you do it wrong, yeah. Well, the thing with diamonds is that they're super strong unless you hit them in exactly the right spot. And I imagine the same is true. It wasn't like they were milling them into shape. They were taking a pickaxe and hacking at it to get some out of it. It could be any shape. So it was a weird shape. But anyways, the most important part about this is that the villain of this piece appears and it is a smoke machine. Yep. (laughs) It's mist. It's a smoke machine plus like the the scrubber on the... Well, I'm sure it wouldn't be a scrubber because this was the 60s, but... The, a time lapse forward and backward. <laughs> it's a smoke machine and running the tape backwards. Yeah, that is the villain. So, <laughs> and apparently, uh, it has a smell. So, as much as I actually hate this episode, and I think we can all around agree yep. that this is not a it was good dumb. fifty-four minutes of television. It's actually quite ingenious to use a smoke machine as yeah. your villain of your piece. It's cheap. You, so you don't have money. to pay an actor. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't need to learn any lines, nope. and it's. Somehow, and I can't believe I'm admitting this to the internet at large, <laughs> was somehow a little bit menacing. It was. It was genuinely a little bit frightening because yeah. it's smoke, which is Sometimes. inherently mysterious and bad. Well, I mean, think about every horror movie you've ever seen where they, fog like, you walk into the fog and the fog is terrifying. It's the same, the same it's principle. True. It's like smoke is usually indicative of bad things to come. Like, smoke if you see smoke fog. coming yeah. out of your house, like shit, something is unfair. Well, there's also a sort of uh, symbolic, like, between smoke and fogs, in that it's, it, it is by its very definition unknown and makes the familiar unknown. Because you can't see through it. It yeah. can cover a place yeah. that you know perfectly well and you're unable to it obfuscates parse it, right? it. Yeah. yeah. It hides intentions. It hides truth. Intentions. <laughs> well, you never know. Next time it's foggy out here, I'm going to walk out and guess my intention. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you don't know what's on the other side of the smoke or the fog. You don't know what it is or what's causing it. That's it's very... True. It just it's, throws all your certainties in, out the in, window. In, um, 
Mi- you goblet of fire. Is that the, the mirror when Sirius Black falls through the mirror? Is it kind of misty? It's fog, I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the other thing about like fog and smoke is you can lose yourself inside yeah. of it. You yeah. can walk into it and have no sense of direction or place or time. I mean, yeah. So like yeah. fog is terrifying. And like, now add yeah. in the idea that it, the fog itself can actually kill you dead. I feel like there's a Stephen King novel. Yeah, the I think fog? so. Oh, yes. Thank you, <laughs> I think it's actually called The Fog. The Fog is about the fog. But it is It's been done many times creepy. and it's always really creepy. And I like the fact that we later discover, much later, too late, is that the fog is sentient. Yeah. Do we actually know that for sure? Are they just guessing? Because it always felt to me like they were just no, guessing. No. We get it. At, it seems like from at least two sources. Like, well, only one of them is Kirk. The other one is like a red shirt who later dies. It's also Spock. And Spock, yeah. Who says that that it, it stops. It behaves as though it is sentient. It can make decisions. And, and it's clearly making decisions based on evidence. That and the two people who come into contact with it and live both say they can sense it. So, yeah. so it's telepathic murder fog. What I hate about this episode, among many things, is that Shatner looks like he's balding. But also, <laughs> when we compare this to Silicon Monster, mm-hmm. they treat it with none of the same respect or, or consideration. Like, spirit of nope. scientific inquiry. Yeah, Kirk immediately ascribes to the Spoke Monster a motive of malevolence, a motive of murder, an evil to it. Yeah, I was really bothered by that, actually. It just seems strange. Like, when they're they're reacting to attacks, fine, but then they chase it off at high warp, and I'm like, I'm committing this ship to the destruction of the creature. Ooh, we're towing a line here. But, counterpoint... In the past, the smoke monster has killed over yeah, yeah, yeah. two hundred people. I don't on disagree. A ship. Mm-hmm. It's just I wouldn't trust Kirk, who clearly has a bias and is not to be has motives trusted. If somebody else did, if if Spock said yes, we should totally do it. If it was his idea, I would be less bothered by it. Spock does eventually later in the episode, and I would also say that it might not be bias; it might be personal experience. Okay. But that I that, would agree, except he was acting like a complete moron the entire episode. No, I'm not going to deny that, but Spock has, or Kirk has personal first-hand experience with the fact that that smoke monster killed over 200 people. Mm. What this is reminding me of is the, the crystalline entity. Ooh. They are similar. Yeah, especially like the first episode where you have the, the female scientist who's like, I'm going to destroy it because it killed my entire family on it, this yeah, planet. Yeah, you know what? That's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. Exactly. This would be very interesting if I could remember <laughs> the, the crystalline, crystalline entity. Was intelligent, but not. Well, think about Creamhorn, which is is another episode in which this was. Yeah. Parts were pulled out of this to put into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that would be my other question, going back a little bit to the discussion about intelligence. Is is it a, like, sentient intelligent? Like, it's a a life form that's, like, rational and thinking, etc., etc. Or is it, like, the dog? And it's just sort of reacting on instincts. And it, it has, it can think and it can, knows things and it can learn, but it's not necessarily sentient. Yeah. Hey, hey, <laughs> dog knows it's a dog. But I, I get your point, Kim. Self-aware. It, it, at what mm-hmm. point is it more imperative to, to destroy it rather than try to reason with it or coexist with it? Yeah. The thing is, we have no evidence that anyone ever tried. No, nobody has. Well, that the problem me a is, bit. is that everyone who goes near the smoke monster that gets killed by the smoke that monster. That is true. So it's kind of difficult. But, like, is it doing it intentionally, or is that just the nature of its existence? Well, it's it's tough. The only other example we've had thus far in canon is the Creamhorn, which is a machine. Mm-hmm. It's not a being, it's a machine. Whereas this thing, it feels like, and this is ridiculous to say, of an actual cloud, is making decisions. Malevolent ones. Malicious ones. Yeah. But is it is it going there because it wants to murder everybody, or is it go, oh, look, a snack? Or... In the salt case... monster, salt monster, salt monster, salt monster. And in yes, the and I agree that the salt monster should not have been killed, should have been trapped and put on a planet with piles of salt. Except that they were trying it's to It's the last of the buffalo. And out of its way to trick and murder people. But it, did, my, it my, does my, trick does it... them. It's tricksy. It's both very tricksy. tricksy, though. They both do. My question about the, the, the murder fog, which is what I kept calling it in my notes. Sure, sure. Is, was it initially when it met the Farragut and killed them all? Was it protecting itself? I don't know because it killed and then it them just all. and then it just classed every human that it saw as dangerous has to be destroyed the same way that they classify it. Again, we I don't think we, we don't have en- I don't think we have enough information because did it see the Farragut and go oh look dinner, 
look yeah. at all this tasty, tasty blood for me to have, or did it go and say, oh, these people are a threat and I should destroy them all? We just don't have that information, no. and that's the same well, thing with know. it, like... Is that Kirk was acting like a jackass. Yes. This entire episode this is entire very episode. difficult to watch. Speaking of, it was, in fact, after their blood, because they smell the sweet smell that Kirk remembers, and he starts having flashbacks. Of honey. Of honey, yeah. And, um... He freaks out a little bit, and he tells everyone, sends off the red shirts. Scamver dichronium, I think is what he says. Good enough. Shoot any clouds immediately. <laughs> this is literally the instruction he gives. If you see anything that looks like a cloud or fog, shoot it instantly. Can you imagine getting that text message from your manager? <laughs> if you see a cloud, shoot it. Don't hesitate. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I'm like... Like the, and he doesn't specify, should they start looking up in the sky and just firing wildly into yeah. the atmosphere? Yeah. He just says anything that looks like vapor or a cloud or fog. Like, um... Again, this is my problem with a lot of Star Trek management style, is that they don't share information freely. Like, as soon as he smelt honey, he should have been like, oh, Explain shit. yourself immediately. Let me give you this backstory that, so that you are for... Forewarned and forearmed going into a situation yeah. where he doesn't do it demise. until no, he doesn't do dead. the whole episode. He's no. just like, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but if you go look up these tapes, you'll find the answers. Why not just have a staff meeting and share it? with I everyone? have another question about that, but I'm going to wait till we actually get to it. Sure. Um. So he sends the red shirts off. Scotty calls down, says, "Um, the Yorktown's waiting for us. The also, Yorktown. The Yorktown. The Yorktown. Yeah. Yorktown. There, there is almost always a USS Yorktown." It's, it's pretty great. It's a ship. Yeah. 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 And before also, it was, we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. Was, this was super exciting because, of course, we just saw the new movie and it was like, Yorktown! Yeah. Our yeah. favorite town of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spock says, that mineral you told them to scan for only exists in labs? Uh, you sound crazy. Should I explain myself? No. no. I'm the goddamn captain. The Plus narrative tension. Then get killed. They, of course, get killed. Yeah. They, of course, get killed. In a sparkle fog attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fog. it was. It sparkles. Yep. So the only one who lives is the only one and who And I wrote that dialogue. down and I'm looking at it and now I realize it sounds like a Pokemon Go move. <laughs> um, <laughs> I call... Okay, this guy, this was the red-headed red shirt, who yeah. I called red shirt number one. He was tragically ugly. The one that briefly survives? I really wanted him to be handsome. Like, I kept staring at the screen going, well, maybe if we shot him from, like, above, he would be handsome, but his... His hair is just a really ugly color. Oh, so like thing this guy's probably dead. Yeah, and he can take this slander from the grave. You are not anyway. very handsome, and I wish you were more handsome so that I would be more like affected by your death. Well, I feel bad for him, but you know, they they of course pr- the fog shows up, and they all immediately proceed to do exactly what he told them not to do and hesitate, and then the murder fog, the sparkle fog, gets them. Does he phaser? No, he does not. No. Has he been told to phaser? Yes, it's the only thing he has been told to do. Yeah, so Spock and Kirk come running, and Kirk says, You'll find every red corpuscle gone from their bodies. Also, the word corpuscle is hilarious. It's a funny <laughs> word, isn't it? Every it time is he says it. It's the most awkward word. Yeah. The red corpuscles. Also, it has pus and core in it. Can you just say their blood? You'll find their no. blood is gone. Because it's, there's other the red parts blood, of blood. It's, it's only red the red blood, blood cells. cells, but there's other parts of blood. Anyways, it's ridiculous because essentially, like, what we learn is that this sparkly cloud is a vampire. Basically, yes. <laughs> it's a sparkly vampire cloud. This is what inspired <laughs> Stephanie Myers to write Twilight. I guess. <laughs> it's weird because the more I thought about it, I'm like, I guess it's a vampire. Because couldn't... Okay, Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't correct me because I'll just argue with you. Can Dracula turn himself into a fog? I think so. Some, yeah, some, in the book, he turns himself <gasps> into a mist. He can! Oh my god! It's Look Dracula! Look what I've done! Look Dracula. what I've done! He's Dracula. This makes this episode better. Uh, Kirk versus Dracula? Yeah, Kirk yeah. versus Dracula. I would, I would watch that. But not this episode again. I'm done with this. <laughs> I don't remember a single thing about this episode, Kim. You seem to remember quite a bit. You're talking about it a lot. No, like, before we watched this, like, I watched all of the original yeah. series. I could not remember this episode for the life of me. I remember that Kirk yells at a cloud. and He I was, does not yell at the cloud. And I was really angry at Kirk, and this episode made me hate Kirk. I know, going back into our previous episodes, that you have complained about this because it is the medical issue, is that there are people who are waiting for this vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, which we learned, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that there are people who are waiting for this vaccine on... 
theta something. Seven. Sure. And the thing is, it's not just that there are people waiting for the vaccine. We've also find out that the vaccine is perishable. Yeah. It will go bad yep. if they don't get it and use it. So not only could potentially people die while they're waiting, they could get there late and find out it's no good and have to wait for another shipment. See, that is absolutely 100% fair, Kim. But I would also like to lay a little bit of blame, like 13% of blame, on the designers of the vaccine. Like it only lasts three days. We can do better Why would now. you do that? Why would you do that, guys? You're in space. Sometimes you run into giant green hams in do, space. <laughs> do you remember last week when Kurt Spock walked onto the bridge and's like, I made a shitty vaccine. Want to try it? This could be the exact same situation. <laughs> Although, I mean, in fairness, in the 60s, oh, the idea of a vaccine lasting for like months would probably completely shock them out of all sensibility. It's bizarreville, but. The fact is, it just makes Kirk's actions that much worse. Yeah, I agree. He does in this come case. off as a giant dick, and at the end of the episode, I would argue that it doesn't redeem him. He enough. learns nothing. No, he learns nothing because he was right. <sighs> yeah, we, he needs to learn from his failures, and at no point in Star Trek does he ever really learn from his failures. No. And that's, again, part of the problem of having no institutional memory, which we haven't talked about for a while, so I just need to say oh, that. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, Institutional Kim. memory. Thank you, Kim. So, yeah, it's a it's a vampire cloud. It can't exist, but it does. And at this point, again, I have in big cap letters, you are in space. In mm. scary, scary, unknown, impossible space. Why couldn't this exist? Why do you guys constantly, like, hit the wall of, Oh no, it could not possibly be. Here's my other thing, is that Scotty is constantly saying about this this material or whatever it is, it only exists in a laboratory. Great. So can we track down the laboratories that are doing experiments with this, with this stuff and say, did you guys lose a cloud? A murderous, murderous <laughs> cloud? Because we found it. Because like, what a, why couldn't this be a science experiment gone awry? Why that, do they seem to think it's naturally occurring? That would be an amazing email subject line. <laughs> Have you lost a murder cloud to all departments? It's like CC Star- Federation. It's like the Star Trek Night Vale crossover that everybody wants. <laughs> That's the Federation true. has lost a murder cloud. <laughs> I listen to that. <laughs> I would also. So, yeah, this is, again, Kim, to go back to the thing that you love talking about, this is the ticking clock. Yes, is that it is. There are a whole bunch of people dying on this planet. If they don't get the vaccine, Kirk is 100% unconcerned about those assholes down on the planet. They shouldn't yeah. have gotten sick in the first place. No, he yep. literally says they can die. Well, yeah. not literally, but yeah, he doesn't seem concerned at all. He's like, I'm responsible for these lives here on this ship. I'm aware it might cost lives on that other planet. The planet he doesn't care about. No. Well, he doesn't have a girlfriend on that planet, so who the hell cares? He doesn't have a girlfriend on this planet either, unless you count the rock. I feel like the glow monster is his girlfriend, or maybe it killed his girlfriend. Well, it killed everyone he knew. Maybe he was dating the captain. Moving on. (laughs) So, uh, Kirk does not explain himself, continues to not explain himself, just tells Bones, check the records of the Farragut. Which is a, a... um, yeah. Disgusting, passive-aggressive aside, like, I can't tell you about my tragic past, you have to look at it yourself. See, at this point, it didn't bother me that much, because I assumed that there would be, like, a summary or something. You know, like a sensible human being would put in a report. But no, what he's telling Bones to check are the record tapes, the logs of the Farragut. Not a report on the incident, but the logs. Years and years and like, hours He and says hours. later, 10 or 11 hours of tapes. I'm sorry, you can't write a fucking executive summary for that shit? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Come Do on. the summary like on a fanfic, Dear though. Starfleet. Yeah, actually, that's, that's also fair. Maybe gain the, like, organizational skills of the AO3. Yeah, so anyways, so okay. he wakes up... Sorry, Kim? I was gonna say, before we go any further, we need to stop and talk about Nurse Chapel. What is up with her uniform? She's wearing a different uniform than normal. She's got this, like, crazy-ass, giant, it, folded collar going on. It looks like it had to be altered because there's a bunch of weird panels in the back that don't exist on any of the yeah. other female uniforms. Exactly, but she's got this, like, giant collar. It's, yeah. like, low-cut. You can see a lot of her collarbone. And her insignia is, like, pinned to the edge and it's, like, sticking up kind of over her skin. Yeah, I don't know. It was really strange and it's just like, oh, she's married to the boss. Let's give her a fancy costume. No, it looks like they had to, like, alter something to fit at the last second. No, really I think strange. Tim's right on 
this one. I love like I love Michelle Barrett. I think she's fantastic. Oh yeah. But like at this point, like you're married to the boss. Let's give you a fancy costume. Also, everyone, go read Fifty Years of Star Trek because the fascinating behind the scenes malarkey with that, amazing. <laughs> so, anyways, Kirk is like, wake up the guy who survived the attack. Why? Oh well, Why? he wants to hear him like mutter incoherently. Okay, so no, what no, he, he does. doesn't want to hear him mutter incoherently. Kirk wants to aggressively interrogate him. He doesn't well, he, interrogate him. He coaches him. Yeah, what he he wants him to do is confirm his story. So they wake him up, and he says, "So uh, what's his name? Rizzo? Yeah, Rizzo. Rizzo. Whatever." He says, "So uh, you heard this thing, right? Cold, so cold. No, no, no. What you want meant to say was you smelled a sickly sweet smell, like being smothered in honey." And so he says that. He coaches him through this entire interview, essentially. And at the end, McCoy's like, well, he was, like, nothing. on drugs, so... On drugs, and, like, severely injured, and BT-dubs, you totally coach that guy, proves nothing. Which it doesn't. Uh, so, Kirk leaves in chapel, like, just straight up goes, what the fuck is going on with him? <laughs> That's exactly it what I wrote in my notes. Yeah. Kirk chapel asked, what the fuck was up with him? Yeah. <laughs> so, essentially, this follows, like, 45 minutes of everyone going... What the hell? Yeah. It's bad. So Kirk goes like full on Shatner. Full. I have never heard Shatner so Shatnery as mm. this episode. This was sort of the, there was shots in this where this is the first time I've ever gone, oh, Kirk looks starting to look like Shatner. <laughs> it's the first time I've really noticed how Shatnery he was looking. <laughs> he starts to talk and you know how people when they're doing like their Shatner impression like, Space, so cold, I can't do this. Like, that weird staccato. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is it. This yeah. is the first time that I noticed him going full Shatner. And it was bizarre, because up to this point, I actually found Shatner's performance really engaging, really fun, not over the top. This was over the top. This was too much. He starts going on this weird rant on the bridge about... There's a strange gaseous creature, guys, and it's camouflage, and it's intelligent, and it changes its molecular structure, and everyone is sitting around the bridge like, oh boy. <laughs> so this is happening. So this is, <laughs> like, two mutinies in a row, guys? I guess so. Yeah. God, what a weird week for them. Seriously. Yeah. Like, yeah. they had to impeach him the first time, or whatever that weird trial was. Hearing, who cares? Hearing, who cares? And then week two... He's going full Ahab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he makes it better. Um, because Fox says all that, and Kirk says, you've just suggested something that never occurred to me. Like, that's something astonishing that never happens. Please. Um, but then he calls up Edson Garavik, who is a new security officer and the son of the captain of the Farragut. Yeah. But we don't oh, know that God. at this point. Farragut. He tells him he's the son of a Farragut Garavik? Farragut Garavik? Guys, a bit of a reach. They no, both, they both have two R's. Farragut Garavik. I don't know what you're getting at here. Gans's no. name is the captain's name was yes. Garavik. Yeah, my name is Captain Garavik of the Farragut. <laughs> really? Are we the only one? Mm, it's a little mm, weird. They both I'm have two R's. That's so really as close as alone. So alone. My genius will be recognized in future centuries. Yeah. <laughs> um, he does say he's the son of a captain. I mean, obviously. Oh no! 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 It's like. He knows. Yeah. He knows. He, he says, he says knows. don't give me any special treatment. No. Well, he, I think he knows that Kirk served with his father when his father died. Oh, yeah. But we don't know that yet. Like, we know he's somebody important to the story at this point. How but did we don't I know, know that then? That he was the son? Yeah. I didn't know he was the son of the captain of the Farragut until no. later he said on. He's, he says he's a captain's son. He doesn't say specifically that it's Garavik. Um, and at this point, we also still don't know exactly what happened on the Farragut. No, just that there were some dying. For some reason, I absolutely knew that he was the son of the captain because he says, "Want to join me on this crazy revenge spree?" Oh, and I will be—I will be your revenge mentor. Because the ginger was his friend. Yeah, the ginger was his friend. Yes, they went to—they were in the academy together. Sure. I would also like to intervene because they're Kirk and Garavik are about to go on this crazy revenge adventure together, which of course is great. Mm-hmm. But maybe as a suggestion, guys, you want to like throw on a gas mask. 
maybe. Or like an oxygen tank. Or, uh, or uh, one of those shiny biohazard suits. Except we have absolutely no idea that that's how they kill it because that it kills people because they've explained zero about how this monster well, kills it people. Their except blood. it eats their red corpuscles. Well, it doesn't suck their blood though because it only taking the red blood cells. There's lots of other stuff in blood. And they're not being, like, punctured, because they would show the dramatic vampire puncture marks in this original series we're talking about. Okay, yeah, fair point, Ari. But, like, why not take other precautions than just going down with all of your beautiful, fleshy bits all exposed? Like, they they take no other... Yeah, fine. (laughs) Righteous anger does not protect you against anything. And I would know. I don't think anybody told Kirk that. It's like when I'm driving and I see someone not indicate. My righteous <laughs> anger does not actually protect my car in a bubble of freedom. Um, it doesn't work that way. I don't think anybody's explained that to Kirk. Um, also, he says to Gehrvik, he says, you'll get a crack at what killed him. It's like, this is not a great motivating method. Like, No, and maybe... it's weird to see Kirk so revengey. Yeah. Also, when they, they beam down back to this planet, despite the fact that people have just been killed there. Mm-hmm. And they My have no idea what it's about. My favorite part here is that Kirk turns to the five, four red shirts plus baby Yaravik, and he's like, so remember, there's a, it molecularly shifts, and they sort of look at the tricorder like, notice the molecular shift, because apparently they have a sensor for that. Yeah. Also, sure. Okay, I don't want to be critical of the dead, but be. we're going to be critical of the dead because okay. they're dead. Yep, they don't draw their phasers. Nope. nope. They don't look. They're not aware of their surroundings. Nope. nope. They don't like when they plant themselves in the ground. They don't like take a. They don't look up. They don't look to the sides. They nope. Just straight ahead. Yeah. They just kind of stand there, wait for their inevitable death. He also splits the group up. Yep. Well, that's Rookie fine. Mistake. And he says, the creature is dangerous if you see it powerful phasers. And this was the first time I was like, I'm not 100% comfortable about the tone this is taking. Like, oh. Kirk decides unilaterally that it's dangerous. I mean, we know now that it is dangerous, like, later on when it seems to make malicious acts just for the hell of it. But at this point, it's like, oh, this is going to a really dark place. And I'm not really sure that's an order anyone should follow without question. It killed that two... guy. He looks dangerous. It killed two people. They don't know exactly what the threat is. The fact that they're phasering on sight is a bit troubling. I yeah. think. Yeah. That's the part that like... shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. What would a corpse of a gas look like? Nothing at all. I'm not solid. No. I think like it would just disperse. Cube. Do we ever know? What, no. happen- what happens at the end of this episode? It explodes in an antimatter explosion. There's no body. It's just vaporized or something. Something. Huh. I did watch this episode. I, I swear to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, long story short, uh, the cl- cloud kills two more red shirts. Mm-hmm. Garavik does not no, he fire hesitates. his phaser immediately. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of goes, Wah! which I think, quite honestly, yeah. all of us would do if we saw a giant cloud. Yeah. yeah. He hesitates. People. So, um, only one of them is actually dead, and the other one is hanging on again. Yeah, fine. How many people is this going to take before Kirk changes his mind? Five. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we went over that earlier, Kirk. Yeah, yeah we did. So, they, again, like, it's very, very funny watching the televisionness of this this show sometimes, when you can tell when there's about to be a commercial break, mm-hmm. because it zooms into Kirk's face. He wipes his lips with a phaser, which was deeply (laughs) sexy and then also deeply troubling from a health and safety point of view. Like, he takes the phaser and is like, (sighs) across his lips, which I was like, (sighs) I think I landed on not sexy. Not sexy. Um, And then it's like, cut to commercial break. Yeah. We come back on Kirk giving a log where he's basically like, so I'm definitely bent on revenge and refusing to listen to reason. I'm sure this thing is the same thing that killed the Farragut. Spock and Bones think I'm crazy. Spoiler, you are. Um, and then we get the staff meeting where Garabic describes the cloud encounter. <laughs> and we yeah. find out that he hesitated. And Kirk is just interrogating him again. And Bones straight up asks him, so the captain's fucking crazy, right? Yeah... 
So do you think it was alive rather than just like bad gas? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but you it's know. It's true. So poor Garavik, like he gets raked over the coals for having hesitated, which we later find out is a mistake that young Kirk also makes, which makes this episode just that much more infuriating. Yeah. So yeah. Kirk recognizes his own weakness in Garavik. Yeah. And is punishing Garavik for what Kirk did. And I mean, okay, so this part of the story that we start getting unfolding now, which is Kirk's guilt over what happened on the Farragut. Yeah. yeah I'm kind of okay. Like, I would like that if maybe the episode had been more focused on that part yeah, of that. Yeah, fair, fair. And because I could get behind that as a story, as Kirk just this thing happened 20 years ago and he's been carrying around this guilt of him thinking that because he hesitated because he was scared or whatever, half his ship was killed, including his captain. Like, that would be an interesting and emotional journey to go on and him finding some kind of peace and reconciling that, no, it actually wasn't your fault. That would have been more interesting. You know what I just realized? We never hear either Garavik or Kirk say that the reason they hesitated is because they were afraid. It clearly is. But we never hear that said. Like that they say would the be word shocked. Shocked. But that's not this startled. Startled, yeah. But big, strong, heroic men cannot be frightened. I'm going to say... Now I'm even angrier about this. Being startled can take a little while to recover from. Yeah. Loud noises, you need to duck and cover. <laughs> That's why, Kim, you're not quite cut out for Starfleet. But I think for me, now, I'm, now I'm convinced that the reason this episode was so emotionally frustrating for me is because they, like, ruined all the potentially interesting emotional storytelling with, like gross toxic masculinity repression garbage. No, I liked that bit. I liked the parallel between Garavik and I would have Kirk. liked it as it was happening, but it, at no point, not even at the very end, was it like, yes, that was a moment of weakness. Yes, it was because I was scared, but that's okay. Being frightened isn't doesn't like make you like not a man or whatever, because that's what I'm getting from it now in retrospect. Fine, that is the read that you can put on it, but I'm going to put on it that I was just surprised I was startled. It was strange and it was weird. And I just had a moment of wonder, of awe. And I, I hesitated. <laughs> I don't know that it needs to be fear. Fine, Ari, I will grant you that that would be slightly more emotional about it. But I would give that I just hesitated for a moment. And that moment has cost me like my peace of mind for the rest of my life. Anyway. So beautiful. So Kirk acts like a complete jackass and confines him to quarters. Garrett goes to his room to cry, basically, and, like, play the sex pistol. I, I really like that we got a scene of him going into the quarters and just flomping on the bed. It was nice. Yeah. It was nice. Like, I felt like Garavik was supposed to be, like, young Kirk. Yeah. He was. He was definitely supposed to be young Kirk. What I, no, actually, what I have written in my notes here is Garavik flings himself down on his bed and plays Evanescence. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what you play Wait, when you're breaking yeah. up with someone. <laughs> So, I, again, I continue in my, my quest to impeach Scotty because I question all of his decisions. He has taken this time to do this weird extensive maintenance on the ship. He's cleaning something. He's cleaning some sort of vent. Yeah. I caught nothing of this. No. Again, I would like to think this just isn't because I think Scotty should be kicked off the ship. It was a little weird, but at the same time, he's like, well, we're just sitting here and I'm doing nothing productive. Let's do this thing that's going to take an hour because I know we're not going to leave for an hour. I definitely didn't catch any of this stuff about I did. the vent. Also, why is because I didn't care. Why doesn't the Yorktown come to them? I don't know. Maybe they're way off course or something. I don't know. None of this is explained well enough. No. No. It's also weird because we have another mutiny moment where he's like, my senior, Kirk... Essentially, every, everyone is like, him. hey, remember those people on that planet that are dying that we definitely have, like, the juice that will save them? <laughs> and how we're not going to them because... The whale, the whale. The whale, the whale. And Kirk's like, god damn you, you're all against me. Mutiny, mutiny. And everyone on the bridge is like, moment of awkward silence. Why are all my senior officers conspiring against me? Yeah. And it is a... He apologizes. Moment. He apologizes, but only for using the word conspire. Also, at this point, he yells at Chekhov for not scanning correctly. For the inability to find an invisible evil cloud that can change its molecular structure at a moment's notice. How dare he? Let's just give a moment for Chekhov. <laughs> because Chekhov. Chekhov is trying to find something that not only probably doesn't exist, but changes. Yeah. Not 
like just its clothes, but fundamentally what it is made out of. Yeah. So how do you even find that? I am looking for a cup that in this cupboard of the cups actually sometimes changes into a mouse or whatever else it feels like. But I need you to look for a cup. Maybe. Probably. Maybe. I guess. Like, I don't know. Like, listen to your heart. Chekhov gets all the shit jobs on this show. He does. He really does. So Spock comes and interrupts Bones, who's doing an autopsy report. And I like this moment, actually. There was like five seconds where they were really nice to each other. McCoy is a good mentor, which, again, we get very nicely in the new movie, where he kind of comes in and is like, ugh. Yeah. Really? Yeah, because Fox is sorry to disturb you, and Bones says, interrupting me doing an autopsy report is not a disturbance, it's a relief. That was a nice line, actually. Yeah. And they basically sort of like, so Kirk's acting really obsessed and crazy. Yeah. Um, And here's where we find out that for no apparent reason, the entire thing is either in text or fucking audio tapes. And there's no executive summary because Jesus Christ, the Federation. And this is where we find out that Garabic's father was the captain that Kirk served under as a baby lieutenant when the Farragut was killed. Everyone in the Farragut was killed. No, no. Half the crew and the captain. Half the crew, yeah. So 200 people. And it was his first deep space assignment. Can you imagine that? Like, your first day on the job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your boss dies and then half the staff. Doesn't that happen to Riker? It's his first day on the job and he accidentally rematerializes the ship. When he was baby face. Yeah. yeah, He accidentally, you know, he's um, involved in illegal cloaking experiments and actually accidentally rematerializes the ship half inside an asteroid. God damn it, Riker! And then has to cover it up. Yep. (laughs) Riker! Yeah. Um, so, so it's like a lot of people have bad first days on the job in Starfleet. <laughs> first years, maybe. Um, and we go back to Kirk doing his logs. Like, do I have the right to endanger my ship for a feeling I can't even put into words? Am I making a rational decision? No. No. At this honey. point, no. So I get, like, what I like about this is that within the structure of command, there is leeway given to intuition about something yeah so you're allowed to go with your gut and essentially kirk is looking at his gut saying is this gas just gas or is it a poison deadly gas and he's he's still not sure and mccoy kind of comes in having read the tapes and is like so mccoy lets himself into kirk's quarters walks up to him while he's in bed and is like knock knock can i come in i'm like you are already in dude (laughs) yeah and Bones, like, calls him out. He's like, so it was you who froze the first time all those years ago. Yeah. You're punishing Garabic because you're the one who froze all those years ago. You blamed yourself. Nobody else did. That's what the official records say, that Kirk's the only one who blamed himself. Um, it killed 200 crewmen. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, probably all at once, basically. <laughs> or, like, a little bit at a time. Considering that it's links around. Yes. Um, And Captain Garvick was Kirk's mentor. And here's where Kirk starts using words like malevolence, evil, and must be destroyed. I'm like, yes, you sound very sane and, and like, nonpartisan. He he kind of chews some scenery at this point. And McCoy responds by getting, like, pretty uppity and saying, I am preparing a medical log entry. Drama music. Yeah. And then... (laughs) Mutiny. Again. No, my part here was like, but I need some backup. And then Spock dramatically shoots into the room. (laughs) Yes, and at this point I started muttering to myself, intervention, 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 intervention. Yes, Yeah, it's basically a command intervention. It really is. I would like to skip over all of this. That's fine. Yeah, everyone's like... You're wrong to do this. This is crazy. Okay, I'm angry about this, though, because this is basically the scene where Kirk crazy talks them around to agreeing with him. Okay, but here's the thing that I do want to talk about is that there is apparently a formal procedure for challenging the captain's actions on a medical basis. And they come in and they say, like, we're saying the phrases that are in the book. And Kirk, there's, like, a response, like, a pre-programmed response that you're supposed to give. And I thought that was very interesting that, like... There is, like, a formal procedure for medically relieving the captain that starts by saying this exact specific yeah, phrase yeah. and the captain having an exact specific response to it. Yeah. I did like that. Like, the, that if the captain is behaving a little bit batty, like, you can start formal proceedings to relieve him of duty because he's clearly gone after, like, the white whale. I also like that they, both Spock, even Spock and Bones, came into this 
potential conflict, really nervous that it was going to go bad, but really hoping that it wouldn't. And they're really relieved when he, like, talks them around. I'm rolling my eyes. You can't see it, but I'm rolling them so hard. Okay, we're going to blow through most of this. Yeah, so this conflict ends with, like, It doesn't end at all. It's hardly conflict. Chekhov calls to interrupt them. Yeah, so the cloud is running away. Kirk's like, like, God damn it. Follow that cloud. (laughs) Jumps into a cab and is like, follow that cloud. Scotty's like, wait, I'm cleaning this thing. It'll blow up. Kirk's like, Go faster. Ah! So he, he eventually is like, I guess I can't blow up the ship. Slow down a little bit. But then the cloud also slows down. Chavel brings... Chavel brings Garavik some soup. Why was this scene even there? Because we didn't need she it. was married to the boss. Okay, fine. Yes. Yeah. You know what? I didn't hate this. I thought she was very clever. I thought she was very clever, and I liked what she did. She like this guy wasn't eating; it was this, being a miserable is, lump. So she tricked him into eating, which is fine. But this is an off-gift sequence. Like you, see, I see it on Tumblr a lot. That basically she's like, the only the doctor prescribed that you eat, and if you don't, he's going to feed you with an intra- intravenously. So she basically threatens him into eating. Fine. I thought that was clever. He throws the bowl of soup, and it hits a switch on his vent. Oh, I guess it becomes. Why is the vent, why is there a vent in someone's quarters that goes directly to the outside? It's a plot switch. It's a plot switch. He throws the food, he throws the cover from his center and hits the plot switch. Amazing, Kim. Thank you so much. They go to battle stations because they're about to fight a cloud. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what. Garavik is like, no, they need my help. So he like, I have this, I have this underlined twice, strolls onto the bridge yeah. Phasers, of course, don't work because you're firing at a goddamn cloud. Yeah, this seems to be like a flaw that no one, somehow no one thought of I don't, Kirk, no, Kirk is like, by God, if we phasered that, everything would be okay. Because then he's like, oh, young Kirk, you were right. Phasers would have done nothing. The phasers, they do nothing. And now they're to photon torpedoes. No, nothing does nothing. And the stupid cloud comes towards them in a, guess, a menacing way, I guess. <laughs> It comes it through. It's menacingly. It, yes, it wafts menacingly. It comes through the air vents because, of course, it does. Everything does from sneak thieves. Why are there to air vents? Clouds. Whatever. Can you call it an air vent if it's not really air? Well, it's like the impulse vents. But why is the vent for? The, I under, okay, fine. There's a vent on the impulse drive for plasma or whatever. Why is that connected to the air vent in someone's quarters? Fair maybe point. I Je- demand an explanation. Maybe it's one Jeffrey's tube over, and he just like shuffled <sighs> over. He is a gas, so... So, again, we have another ticking clock, Is now they only have air for two hours. Because they have to shut broke. the vents down. they have to shut the vents down. Kirk, unfortunately, I hate to report, is smug as fuck. Because he's like, did I not tell you that this cloud is evil? Did I not tell you? Did I not tell you? Did I not put it in my official diary entry? The cloud was evil, and everyone's so contrite, like... God damn it, Kirk, you were right. So my favorite bit of this is the solution that Kirk has <laughs> for, like, how you're going to get the cloud out of the vents. Flush it with radioactive waste. Yeah, that can't possibly have any they unforeseen literally consequences. literally vent radioactive waste into the, like, the air vents of the ship. The air ship. filtration system. Yeah, you don't need those for anything else. I'm sure it'll be super easy to just, like, rinse that out afterwards. It's a cloud! <laughs> Like, I don't even know. I don't even know. How would you vacuum it? Oh, that would work. Yeah. It's a cloud. Vacuum it. Well, I mean, until it realizes what you're doing and turns itself into plasma or something. Who knows? It's too smart for Hmm. you. This cloud is too smart for you. Um, Spock goes to visit Garabic in his room to basically tell him it's not his fault. He's not to blame. Humans are just weak. And yeah. while he's having giving him this pep talk, good job, Scott uh, Spock, the cloud, of course, starts sneaking into the room. Of through, course it does. Because yeah. this is the vent with the plot switch. Yeah. yeah. The and broken plot switch. through the plot, plot switch. switch comes the antagonist. The antagonist <laughs> smokes evilly. Mm-hmm. Like, Spock flings Garavik out of the room and tries to cover the vent with his hands. That'll definitely work. Um, <laughs> yeah. Solved this. I'm just getting, like, a, a Tupperware container and locking the cloud inside. Because then even if it changed into a liquid or a solid, it's not going anywhere. This could have all been solved by Tupperware. Yes. Or, you know that, that plastic film that you put on your window, win, 
Mm. Put over oh, your yeah. winter, winter windows. Like that too. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think it could actually phase through matter. So why not just, like, throw up a window or something? Well, it'll work. I actually think it must be half, it must be able to to a point because if it's taking the red blood cells out without the rest of the blood, it probably Maybe it is turns too. the liquid into oh, a gas. gas. Oh, I like that, actually. Mm-hmm. Scienced. Yeah. <laughs> um... So everybody goes running to Garavik's quarters where Spock is trapped inside. Uh, Kirk, you know, for the first time in this episode, stops to think before he acts. He's like, okay, we can't just open the door. We have to make sure it's not in there and about to kill us all, too. Yeah, but Spock is fine because his blood is made from copper and apparently... And also, uh, now, Kirk says to Scotty, you should reverse cabin pressure in Garavik's quarters. Basically vacuum out the monster. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and as they're like, oh, but he could be dead, blah, 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 Spock sort of pops out of the hallway. I'm fine. My hemoglobin is not delicious. It's full of copper. So at some point in this entire proceedings, someone says it must communicate with scent. And Kirk decides, no, because Kirk decides, that, oh, it smells different. It must be intelligent. I... And he just knows things about it now. The nose knows, Kim. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. The nose knows. And then I think at some point, what, is it Spock who's like, well, it wants to go home to Spawn. No, Kirk says that. That's crazy! Where the fuck did that come from? And Kirk has this weird, special, like, sexual connection with this cloud. They mind melded or something. Not sexual, sensual. As in sense. Literally. Uh... Yeah, he magically intuits that it's headed back to the Tycho system where the half the crew of the Farragut was killed. He thinks that it's home. He smells, he like huffs something, and he's like, oh, he wants to go home. Sure. Whatever. He wants to go home to make more babies. Sure. It's there to spawn. And he, like, pulls a number out of his fine, tight butt, and he's like, it'll be there, there'll be a thousand smoke monsters. Sure. This was just... This is what Star... It's when Star Trek is at its worst, it's doing this, is just making up random plot crap to justify what's going on. Yeah, so, again, they determine that they're going to do an antimatter bomb, which is more powerful than anything. Um, and someone has... Kirk has a really One bizarre, ounce of antimatter, antimatter is more powerful than 10,000 cobalt bombs. And someone gives this really offhand line, like, and by God, I hope that's the most... As powerful as man will ever get. Yeah, which I feel like was some kind of, like, atomic or hydrogen bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Commentary weirdly shoved into this episode. Oh, yeah. It was very strange. Yeah. Especially sideways. since, like, you have, like, one milligram of antimatter, which you took from the large reservoir of antimatter on the ship. Yeah. Yes, there is a more powerful bomb in orbit above you. Yeah. Yeah, so Holy. Kirk, like, makes amends with Garabek, and he's like, you're, it, yeah. you're a real man. It's Real fine. men go down to the planet to lay this trap bomb with our delicious manly blood. And because we're manly men, we're just going to manfully, manfully man here. Let's not forget the hilariously large jar of blood that they take down with them. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Where do they get that? Do they just, like, milk every crew member for a couple of drops? I think that's probably their entire reserve of transfusion blood. Do you milk people for their blood? You do not. You give them blood, you know how it works. Snoop, 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 Anyhow, so yeah, they've got a giant pot of blood, and they're going to lure this thing down to the planet and then blow it to shit. Yeah. But of course, something doesn't work, and Kirk tries to be a hero, or Garrick tries to be a hero. Kirk beans him on the head with a rock and says, fuck you, the only hero on this television show is Shatner. (laughs) Yeah. This was a random out-of-place fight scene that lasted like six seconds. And everyone kept their shirt, which was stupid. Of course, they get beamed back to the planet, everything explodes, but oh no, they might not make it. For fuck's sakes, of course they're making it. Shatner is the first name in the credits. It's fine. <laughs> and my cons- my thing that, small thing, it's like, okay, so this is a bomb that is big enough to blow away half the planet's atmosphere. Sure. Does the monster really need to be right on top of it? Would a bomb explode a gas? At all? <gasps> Are they... Turn, oh, was it heating up the gas to turn it back into a liquid? No, that wouldn't work. I was gonna this say, is like, no. already way more thought no. than they put into it when they wrote the episode. It doesn't it's matter. This stupid. thing can change its molecular shape. You, you might as well put it into an oil drum. It's the safest place for it. Yeah, this is dumb. Agreed. So it blows up. Everything's okay. And then Kirk and Garabek, like, 
make man friends again. And Kirk's like, come to my quarters and let's talk about your dad. Your dead, dead, dead dad. And Garrett's like, that'd be amazing. Actually, <laughs> the way that this was stated was a little weird to me because what he says is, go take a shower and come to my quarters. <laughs> or, like, we can, <laughs> or we can do both in the same place. Oh my god. Kareen, don't be gross. I, it's, it's, I am grasping at straws because this is painful to watch. It was terrible. It's a bad episode of television. I think Fredericks is the producer by this point. Who is? Fredericks. He replaced Gene Kuhn. Okay. Again, read 50 Years of Star Trek. It is totally fascinating. My favorite story about Fredericks, apocryphal or not, is that he was brought on as producer because Gene Kuhn was essentially having, like, a breakdown. He couldn't handle it. Like, making this show was a huge personal effort. Like, we talk about work-life balance. Ah! In the past, no such a thing. So, uh, Fredericks was brought in to replace him, and someone was like, okay, let's try to catch you up to speed. Let's show you a couple of episodes and, like, see what Star Trek is all about. And so he watched them in silence. He had a giant cigar. He was watching them with one of the, the secretaries. And this is kind of her story. And he watched a couple of episodes, and at the end, you know, the lights come back on, and he goes, oh, like uh, tits in space. Oh, God. <laughs> Fredericks gets a lot of slack, but, I mean, there's a lot of good episodes to come after this. Yeah. I feel like there is. This is not a good episode. We've had two <laughs> real just, like, clunkers in a yeah. row. Yeah. And they're what has largely contributed to my dislike of Kirk. It's fair. I don't like her coming out of this episode. I don't like myself watching this episode. <laughs> no, it's... There's a good episode... Again, as we say constantly over and over, there's a good episode buried in there somewhere. Yeah, but somewhere. it I'm, just needs a rewrite. They, Under a pile of tritanium. Yep. Uh, so, life lesson to be gleaned from this, Ari. Don't go after the whale. It'll eat you. Does the whale eat... The whale destroys the ship, right? How about just don't go after the fucking whale? Whales are beautiful, precious creatures that we should probably leave alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Kim? Um, deliver the medicine, then take vengeance. Mm. Very efficient. <sighs> That's fair. I would also say practice essentialism. You know, do what you're good at and just do that. And what they're good at is delivering medicine. Um, don't get distracted by the extraneous things that demand your time and attention. Focus <laughs> like on what's important. That puts you in your entire ship plus Revenge entire planet is of dumb. Revenge is dumb. I think that's actually yeah, what yeah, I'm going yeah, for. Yeah. But I mean, that was kind of what I was going for. But don't go after the whale. That's Revenge is fair. dumb. Mm-hmm. Revenge is dumb. Revenge is dumb is a little bit more like yeah out there. Uh, performance of the episode. Let's go to Kim. Um, I'm going to do a joint performance between DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy. Damn it, you stole mine. Yes, because they had some. I loved their scenes together when they were talking about what the hell was up with Kirk, and yeah. then talking to Kirk about what the fuck are you doing? They were they were in this together. Yeah, I liked those scenes a lot. All in this together. Uh, I'm giving it solely to DeForest Kelly. The scene where he shows up in Kirk's quarters and is kind of finally walking the line between a friend and recognizing that that is his superior officer, mm-hmm. I think is really well done. And that he can of, relieve whenever he feels like. Exactly. Like, there's a really fine line that Bones walks is that, yes, he is able to take the captain out of command if he feels it is medically necessary. But he's also Kirk's friend, mm-hmm. and he's yeah. worried about him as yeah. a friend. I think DeForest Kelly like knocks it out of the park. In DeForest this Kelly was very good at that, like giving, like showing that he cared about people when he was yeah. in character. Always very, very good at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Ari, your count: six ladies, four people of color, and we know that five people are tragically dead. Some mm-hmm. who come back miraculously. Five people mm-hmm. are dead, and then two hundred people in the Farragut oh, before gosh. the episode. Again, with the, the giant-ass body counts. I mean, it's not like 10 million again this time, but no. like, that's still a significant number of people. 200 in the past is... But 200 is, is still a small... I actually think that, that the smaller numbers, like, and by small, I mean like 200 instead of like... It's not a small number, but it's an understandable number, which actually makes it more upsetting. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, 200 it's people, you could have known all of those people. 10 million, well, it kind of becomes meaningless, yeah. which is why I have trouble reading Garth Nix books, because they all start oh, with like, so millions died... Okay, if you say so. It's like, I'm in space. All I can see is brown and green and blue. It doesn't really mean anything. But, yeah, 
200 people, that's a real number. That's half of the crew. Yeah. yeah. I think that's actually a really emotionally poignant moment. And I kind of wish, to speak to your point, Kim, that they had focused more on that defining moment in his career because Kirk has essentially prided himself on never making a mistake. Yeah. And that is what Starfleet demands, that their captains never make mistakes. And he considers this a mistake. Yeah. No one else no does. No one else does. Yeah, he and he, he harbors that guilt and those 200 souls on himself. I'm just yeah. trying to think if there's any Star Trek series captains who don't have, like, a tragic, like, I lost half my crew, I lost my entire crew, I lost my whole ship, experiences before they get to the Enterprise. Janeway. Picard does. Janeway. Jane, uh, except for Janeway. Janeway comes out swinging trip. and she... Continues swinging. <laughs> continues swinging. <laughs> Sometimes in a tank top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, Cisco has Wolf 359. Yeah. Uh, Picard loses an entire ship. He's got the Stargazer. I don't think Archer has any tragic losses before. Although, like, Starfleet is brand spanking new. It's so. not even Starfleet. Well, maybe yeah. it's Starfleet, but it's not. Just the, barely. The Federation doesn't even exist at yeah. the beginning of Enterprise. I think it seems to say, like, if you get to that point of command, there are going to be tragedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A Starfleet is dangerous. Everyone should stay back on the planet in Starfleet HR. Starfleet HR.